From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing these conversations within our regular podcast episodes to give you a better idea of what's going on in the alcohol beverage industry. Today, I'm talking with Miranda Dixon, the Global Brand Director for Absolute Elix. Miranda, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so where do we find you uh, on this lovely day in March? Uh, well, here I am, this sunny morning, uh, sitting in Los Angeles. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about Absolute Elix. So I think, uh, you know, most people, I think, are aware of it now. It's been around for about 10 years. Um, but what is the brand? And also, I'm so curious as to how it sits outside of Absolute, right? Because I, you know, I'd always assumed that Absolute was, Elix was sort of part of Absolute. But to hear that there's, that you are like the global brand director of Elix, I'm so curious like what the hierarchy is and, and where the brand sort of fits in the brand family of, of Absolute. So we created, um, yeah, you're right. It took us three years to make Absolute. And that was between around 2007 to 2010. We made Absolute Elix. Um, and of course, everybody's fully aware and, you know, very um, au fait with the brand Absolute Vodka. And with Elix, what we did was look at every element of the way we produced Absolute Vodka um, and tried to really craft and finesse each stage of the production process. So, for example, the wheat fields that we use for Absolute Vodka, we went to uh, one of the farmers we had the best relationship with and worked with him to um, to try and create a very specific wheat varietal from uh, the terroir from one single estate in Sweden and just use that wheat for um, the creation of Absolute Elix. And we're not saying that that, is, that wheat is giving a better product, it's just a different product. Because what we wanted to do was create something that was really, I suppose, the best way to describe it would be a handcrafted expression of absolute vodka. Um, taking every element that we'd learn and kind of building it into craft something that's a handmade product. Um, so therefore, it takes much more time to create Elix. Um, and we make it in one distillery, which is the original absolute distillery in the, in southern Sweden. So, you know, it's very closely related from a production point of view, from how we actually make the product, from the ingredients that we use. Um, we're very lucky in southern Sweden because the distillery sits on top of a huge ancient aquifer. So, in fact, we use the same water for absolute vodka as we use for Elix because it's, okay. a, you know, complete purity. So there's lots of similarities between the actual product itself. However, the fact that Elix comes from one single estate and the fact that it is a handmade product, and it's really handmade, by the way, there's no computers in the distillery. It's, it's about seven guys who know how to operate this equipment. Um, so it is genuinely a handmade product. So what, what, was, what was the decision to create Elix? Like why create Elix? Um, I guess is my question. So uh, Krista Asplund, who um, was our master distiller, who had worked creating absolute vodka for 35 years, um, he really had an ambition to, you know, obviously in 1973, when we created absolute vodka, the world was a very different place. And what was possible through manufacturing was very different from how it is today in the world of vodka. So all the knowledge gained from absolute vodka um, you know, he, he had a lot of energy in really distilling down this knowledge to finesse a different expression of um, absolute using that wheat in a, to, to give the vodka a slightly different profile. 
um, and something I suppose that could be described as this, you know, more refined product. So more refined. So then who is the hope with Absolute Elix or has the hope been, and I guess you would know this obviously through data in terms of the customer, has the hope been to graduate the Absolute drinker to Absolute Elix? Uh, are you trying to bring other people into the vodka category through Absolute Elix? Um, sort of like where do you see the brand fitting in amongst sort of, you know, drinkers in general and, and what people are looking for? I think we see Elix as the product that you'd reach for as a special occasion, for example. I mean, okay. if you're an absolute drinker, um, maybe Elix is the product you would grab to take to a friend's party at the weekend, okay. um, for example. Um, but at the same time, Elix would be, um, I mean, as, a, as I said, is that when Absolute launched, um, the, the world of vodka, the world of the vodka shelf was a very different place from it is today. And now we would say that, you know, Elix is absolutely exceptional in a martini, for example. Right. It perhaps isn't the way people are consuming absolute vodka today. Perhaps it's in longer drinks, more simple mixed drinks. So it, the way that it has this very refined, very special mouthfeel is, you know, so much better enjoyed in more spirit forward drinks, for example. Mm-hmm. That could be a space in which one might select Elix um, as an option. But I think also um, we see the brand as appealing to non-vodka drinkers as well. Elix has a very, uh, it has a distinct taste flavor and specifically a a very refined mouthfeel. It's very, very smooth and sort of silky, I suppose, in texture, Um, which, as I say, I mean, it, it, it showcases extremely well in um, a spirit forward drink where does that mouthfeel come from so like is that because of the wheat you're using is that the distillation tactics that they're i sorry not tactics but you know what i mean is that, is that from the the, the the distillation process how is that occurring so it basically comes from the distillation process exactly okay um the way we create absolute elix is again um very unique we use um copper which is not new, unique i mean we know spirit production uses copper but it's the way that we employ copper so we use a vintage still from 1921 okay um to make to make elix which is this hand operated still but in addition to that we're using sacrificial copper in the first distillation um, and what that's doing is removing many of the um, primary unwanted impurities okay um, so it's removing a lot of the maybe unwanted odors or fusel oils at the first point of distillation. So you have a fine spirit that you're going to be creating your um, second rectification from that already is um, of a very different profile from absolute vodka. Um, And then it's crafted completely through this copper still. And I know that Krista believes that, uh, (laughs) that it's the essence of the still that's the magic um, of absolute elix um, that gives it this very specific profile. It's interesting to me that you know you were talking a little bit earlier about sort of modernism and things like that, uh, especially like in '73, and then you know how we've changed in vodka since then. And yet to sort of create a more, I guess, forward-thinking product, you went back to a machine built in 1921. It's really interesting. And so, is was it always? I mean, 
Copper is obviously a big part of the brand. I've, I mean, that's sort of how I've always seen the brand show up. Was that, you know, was it known by the sort of dis- distilling team at the time that copper would be the way, the, the type of still to use in order to create uh, the type of vodka they wanted to make? Yes. I mean, when I talk about looking at every element of the process of absolute vodka, I mean, they're using copper in the primary distillation process, but it's not sacrificial. So it's not essentially being discarded after every single batch, which is how we produce Elix. So I think it was evident that this copper catalyzation process very much uh, helps and imparts something differentiated to the vodka. Um, and then, I mean, copper is part of the um, tradition of distillation in Sweden, and it's central to that. So, I mean, it just made sense to use copper. I mean, even within um, in the huge facility, obviously, um, which creates the millions of cases of absolute vodka, um, copper is employed and is uh, inside stainless steel. I mean, it's still there. It's still being used, but not in quite the same proportion as we're using it with Elix. Interesting. So when Elix was created, obviously, I, I mean, I've always, so full disclosure, I like when I was a, a kid, uh, I don't know how, why my parents let me do this, but I collected Absolute Vodka ads because uh, I thought they were super cool. Um, but when you were creating Elix, were, was, this, was this also sort of to give Absolute or to find that place in vodka where you would maybe have a competitor against like a Grey Goose or a Belvedere or things like that? Was that sort of also how Elix came to be to sort of have a super premium? Because I don't know, I guess I always thought that Absolute was super premium until Elix was released. So I'm curious sort of what the the business decisions were behind it. I mean, we see Absolute as sitting in the, you know, firmly on the premium shelf. Um, and what you saw in the, I guess it's early 90s with the release of uh, Belvedere and Grey Goose, you see a complete changing of uh, the vodka context, if you like. I mean, honestly, I don't think that a consumer understands premium, super premium. They just understand price point. Yeah, that's true. Um, And what's interesting with super premium, the super premium category um, as a whole, but specifically with vodka, I mean, with vodka, there's no aging process. There's no appellation on, you know, whiskey, cognac, for example. Um, so it's um, the price point is largely defined by fancy bottle, tall fancy bottle, frostiness, etc., and you know various claims, marketing claims on the pack. And this category with vodka seems to um, be between twenty five dollars in America. It's especially broad, but twenty five dollars up to one hundred and forty dollars. Um, so it's so broad. I mean, you know, I went to the store the other day and I see what I would say is premium product sitting next to a super premium product at the same price point. So, I mean, pricing in, in the U.S. specifically on shelf is is quite interesting. Yeah. We're talking about these two um, these two categories. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, with with. Absolute, we didn't say, okay, uh, sorry, with Absolute Elix, we didn't say, okay, we need something to go up against Grey Goose Belvedere, who, you know, obviously were the market leaders at the time. And in fact, when we first positioned it, it wasn't really about that. It was about creating something that really was a handcrafted expression. So something much more craft forward. Um, We never in the initial process thought about it being something that would be drunk in nightclubs with sparklers on. 
Right. Um, as I imagine, many of the, well, I mean, <laughs> no, many of the champagne houses never would have dreamed of that either. Um, so we never saw that being being a play in the product. It was more about very good quality drinks and creating a product that could deliver on exceptional um, spirit forward cocktails. So was this also sort of, I mean, I, I sort of remember when Elix debuted, it being the brand that helped re-educate or, re- or remind bartenders at craft cocktail bars that you could make really good drinks with vodka. Um, and I, I remember seeing Elix pushing very hard into that space. Um, was that intentional? Yes. I mean, we deliberately partnered with, I think, initially, I want to say 15, 15 bars in New York um, and specifically forged a great relationship with Jim Meehan um specifically to do that to educate people about you know vodka's not just you know i think we came we came around at a time where people were very bartenders especially sort of anti vodka um and yeah. to just to just say to people that's that's not really fair first of all the consumer still loves vodka even if the bartender's anti vodka and actually vodka is there's a lot more to it than you may think so it was always important to um to us to continue to push for education and people to really understand what makes good vodka and to teach people that as a fundamental entry point. So speaking of the on-trade, I had another question for you. So I remember, you know, when I first sort of um, came in contact with Absolute Elix for the first time, I believe it was at Bettany, uh, RIP, uh, and they had a ton of like, pineapples and things like that. And this was like one of the very early days of Vine Paris. I mean, I think I was just starting the publication. So it was around the time you guys were launching like seven years ago or so. And they used to tell me that people stole them. So is that true? So yes, actually. And the first time we showcased the pineapples was at Tales of the Cocktail in 2015. And Mm -hmm. we made 200 of them. And I can remember going to the POS team and then being, you are crazy. These are so expensive. What are you doing? And uh, we put them out there. And out of our 200, I think only 54 came home. (laughs) So you could see immediately that these were, you know, it it was a hit, but it was a good problem to have. So we um, started replicating, found a way to make them less expensive and put them into, uh, made them available to bars and restaurants all over the world. In fact, I think right now there's over uh, 60,000 of these out in out in the on-premise globally. Um, but what we saw is, is that exactly people like to, I mean, can you imagine these things are huge uh, where they were tipping the ice out under the table and putting them in their handbags. Um <laughs> Because so they were they were drinks vessels, correct? They weren't they weren't shakers. Exactly, right. they're, they're, they're cocktail cups. Um, <laughs> and um, so we were like, "Wow, you know, this this is crazy." So we started initially with um, with a website that was linked to Water for People, which was a charity we were working with at the time. And you could purchase a copper pineapple and give a donation of I think five bucks to Water for People, and people just loved 
these uh, vessels. So with that in mind, we started expanding and I worked on expanding the whole range of copper vessels. And now we have copper gnomes, we have pineapples, we have mermaids, we have turtles, we have cats, we have little lovebirds. You know, we have this whole range of these kind of fun fantasy style copper drinking vessels, huge flamingo punch bowl. And we've also set up um, the elixboutique.com where we retail those directly to consumers. And that's also been a big part of our play during times of COVID because it gives um, the opportunity for people to go online and buy these kind of great cups, which make, you know, great gifting um, with cocktail ideas for how to drink with each cup and vessel, etc. And that's complemented by copper bar tools, um, and other sort of lifestyle pieces like little copper gnome cufflinks, for example, and <laughs> decorations, etc. Very cool. You very much leaned into copper. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's the cornerstone of how we make the brand, so it just made sense. So it's uh, it's great that it also happens to be sort of fashionable as a colour and a material, and it's also, uh, you know, absolutely central to the way we create absolutely looks. Very cool. So now that we are obviously full on in a global pandemic and the off premise has, I mean, the on premise has closed, which, you know, I used to see Elix at a lot. How has your strategy changed or had your strategy already evolved prior to COVID? So what have you sort of done since the beginning um, in terms of positioning of the brand? The brand has massively evolved since we first launched. Um, so whilst we were, you know, in more, um, spirit forward craft cocktail bars, hotel bars, let's say, um, we realized that, you know, there's a, there's a scope outside that. And we started working very closely with global trade, um, in terms of creating more exciting drinking experiences, um, as well as educating, educating on the product, but also just, I mean, (sighs) The reality is the territory of this so-called super premium um, category is nightlife as well. So it was difficult for us just to remain in the bars as part of a Pernod Ricard portfolio. Um, This is the way our company is set up. We're a decentralized organization. And so what that means is that... um, you know, transparently, our sales guys will be going into account selling a bunch of different products. And vodka is obviously part of that setup. People want to drink great vodka in nightclubs. So honestly, it wasn't a it wasn't a laser strategy of ours. It was more about the fact that this is what um, the, the bars, restaurants, nightclubs wanted. They wanted a vodka. Um, and we see that expanding in that segment. You know, you see it's really the lockup of champagne, tequila and vodka. So we then created uh, systems, ideas, fancy ice buckets, things that were not uh, sparkler forward <laughs> ideas. <laughs> but, you know, something that could work in that environment for the brand and then, you know, embrace that as uh, another part, another facet of the brand, if you like. So um, since you brought up nightclubs, which is interesting to me, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, cognac has seen massive booms in COVID. Um, you know, sales are just through the roof. Um, and a lot of that obviously has to do with that cognac was already surging prior to COVID, right? It was already sort of on the upswing 
and our own you know, independent data sets that we have through VinePair Insights was showing that you know early on. Um, but obviously, one of the other large reasons people are saying cognac boomed was is booming is because a lot of people who drank it in the clubs started to realize how much it actually cost on premise, <laughs> you know, off premise, and we're buying more of it. And so they've seen massive, you know, sales because of that. And I'm curious, has the same happened to Elix? No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Unfortunately <laughs> not. I mean, I think the thing is, is that um, we have never up until, in fact, COVID really pushed in the off-premise. We've been a very trade-forward brand. And we've been very on-premise focused. And the way we show up, I mean, you, you touched earlier on on copper. Yeah. Um, at being the, you know, the sort of create, creative visual identity of the brand. And so that's very much still a on-premise play. I mean, you know, 10 years, we're still a brand in its infancy, I would say. Yeah. Um, and whilst we've started doing some kind of, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, co-packs with... Um, fancy copper cups in the off-premise it's not something that we've really pushed or embraced um being in grocery stores for example um that's not been a, a major part of the brand um because it's been more about seeding the brand growing equity within the on-premise um so you're in la because of a special elix house correct yeah that's correct so Actually, you know, we've talked a bit about, we've talked a lot about the product itself and how the product's made, but that was never, never all the story of Absolute Vodka. Of course, you know, people, I mean, you, you talked about the adverts, people touched on this cultural identity of the brand, um, just as much as they talked about the actual liquid itself. And that was a great inspiration for us with Absolute Elix is that, you know, if we look at the heritage of Absolute, you know, arts, fashion, culture is so much part of the DNA of the brand uh -huh. and kind of disruptive character. So that's something that, you know, really motivated and inspired me when working on Absolute Elix and expanding and exploring that. And that sort of um, came to life, if you like, by creating these um, Absolute Elix houses. So we started off by creating one in New York in a sort of loft apartment um, in, in, uh, in Manhattan. And then we uh, created this uh, Elix house in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles. And the idea of the houses is to create this kind of utopia world of Elix. So you're stepping into the world of Elix where nothing is branded. Um, it's more about creating this sort of alternative lifestyle. Um, and we've used the house for, you know, hosting a lot of trade events, parties, celebrity birthday parties, um, educational sessions, etc. So that's that's basically the usage of the house, and obviously for company internal uh, meetings and seminars, etc. But it's a fully dedicated mansion um, in Hollywood that is um, is the Elix House. So does the New York one exist anymore or no? It doesn't. No, after we had it for a year and we ran the two houses together, but just from a from an organizational operational point of view, it was very difficult to keep them both going. So we had that house for two years and we've had so far the Elix house for five in LA. And um, what's happened to the house during this time, during COVID for the last year? <laughs> well, we've been making lots of content creation there. So 
I mean, you you asked actually earlier on about you know what are we what have we done with COVID? Well, um, one of the things that um, has become apparent, something that you know I focused on anyway, is um, how are we going to get people excited about how to drink Elix, especially if they're sitting at home. So we've done a lot of work with trade based in LA doing uh, films on, you know, how to make perfect martinis, how to make great cocktails and shooting it in our ready-made set, obviously. Right. Um, so that's the main way in which we used it. We did for um, for the holidays, we did some work with Dita Von Tees and we did Halloween, we did Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve, and she made some great fun videos at the house too. So that's what we've been using it for, content creation. So at this point, you know, do you think, post-COVID is, is the plan to sort of go back to the, you know, the playbook you had been using in terms of, uh, you know, pushing into the the clubs and being more of an on-trade uh, liquid? Or do you think that, you know, given COVID um, and everything that sort of it's done to sort of at-home bartending and consumption at home and th- things like that, that it, it will, it'll cause you to reevaluate the strategy and Elix might be showing up more in people's homes than it used to? Um, yes, of course. I mean, we will continue to work with the trade. I mean, I think that the trade and the professionals in our industry are, are really the heartbeat that keeps keeps it being so exciting, really, um, in our industry. Even when people aren't showing up in bars and clubs, these are still the people creating the trends, creating the cocktails. So we'll continue to work with them on solutions for how to keep encouraging people to drink better at home, to finesse their cocktail techniques and impress their friends, you know, so using professional hacks and kind of doubling down on that still. I think it's been something that, you know, home bartending is definitely not going to go away. And there's so much more interest in it than there ever was before. So it would be foolish not to continue what we started um, during COVID, but also to really work with bars and restaurants as they start coming and getting back on their feet after the crisis. And how can we support them and creating tools and solutions um, for them to weather this sort of new world post-COVID, if that makes sense? Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Um, right. I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to chat with me more about Elix and what's going on with the brand and sort of how it's developed. It's, it's been really cool to hear its its story. Um, so I want to thank you and I wish you the best of luck in the future with the brand. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.